gentlemen and corner kick fam welcome back to the world cup edition of corner kick i feel like i should really um have have brought up or pulled up that that little sound bite that they use to bring us back from commercial the but i feel that's the Nicki minaj song you're thinking of the do 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 and then the the ghost turns into the infinity symbol that then becomes the trophy Yes, Laib, famously. Um, but yeah, we are now two match days into the group stage at the World Cup. Uh, the double match days begin tomorrow, and we begin to see uh, you know, more teams going home. And it's pretty incredible that going into this final match day, 30 of the 32 teams have the possibility uh, of advancing. Only two teams have been eliminated to this point, uh, those being Qatar and Canada. Um, but before we get into all of that, I am Nathan Strauss. I am joined by... A man who uh, sunk into agonizing defeat in his chair when Nicholas Fulkrug scored the game equalizing goal yesterday. It is Caleb Rhodes. Yes, and I still haven't forgiven Nick for bringing, you know, bad juju um, and wishing ill upon the Spain national team via the right foot of Fulkrug. But here I am. Yes, and we're also joined by a man in Nick Vinden who ever since the game went into halftime tied uh, was saying this game is setting up perfectly for a late Nicholas Fulkrug goal. It is Nick Vinden. Listen, I just felt the vibes. Nicholas Fulkrug, Nick Vinden. The connection is already there. It's self-explanatory. I just felt it in the Nick cosmos that this man would come on. Uh, Division two, historically, Spy Bundesliga striker, 10 goals in the Bundesliga this season with Werder Bremen would come on and do the business. Now, had I heard of him before yesterday's match? Admittedly, no. But did I get the sense that he would come on and make the difference? I sure did. And make the difference he did uh, against Spain. But yeah, Caleb almost summarily kicked me out of his apartment yesterday following that equalizer. So I'm glad that now I still, my invitation to this podcast. Uh, was still in my inbox this evening. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, we really should we really should have, uh, you know, kept you off for that. Although it was it was a very good game. Uh, I guess so. You know, the last time we were together, we we made our picks as to who would go through, uh, and as of now, we only know three teams that have confirmed, you know, their advancement to the next round. Those being Brazil, France, and what's the last? Who's the last team that I'm forgetting? Brazil, France, and Portugal now. Um, are there any teams that have surprised you guys from the first couple of match days? I guess it surprised you in a negative way. Always starting with the negative on this show sometimes, Nathan. But yes, It's called I think... kvetching, Nick, but yeah. <laughs> right, we got to build to the positives. Uh, I would agree with that. I think certainly Belgium. I think there's a discussion to be had about the overall state of the Belgian national team particularly following their really disappointing defeat against Morocco, which Nathan, I think, really eloquently outlined, were an underdog in this competition, had a lot of intriguing pieces, a lot of dynamic players, certainly displayed that against Belgium, where I thought they put together a complete performance against the what is left of Belgium's golden generation. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne came out mid-tournament saying that, essentially, that they didn't have much of a chance to to win the World Cup because they were, you know, quote-unquote too old and uh, the time had sort of passed them by. And then Jan Vertonghen uh, responded to De Bruyne saying that, well, maybe our attack is also a little bit too old, which is why we, we're not putting ball, uh, goals in the back of the net. And so there just seems to be a lot of tension right now surrounding Belgium and Roberto Martinez and his tactics, which I don't think we the three of us have ever been particularly uh, the biggest fans of Martinez following a, a pretty so-so tenure uh, at Everton and not quite performing up to the level in the Euros in uh, 2021 as well. So certainly, I think Belgium definitely surprising just in terms of how steep the decline has been in this tournament. But 
they shouldn't even be they should be on they should be on zero points or one point like they they really didn't deserve to pick up all three points against canada for sure right yeah but certainly i think uh it's a surprise just in terms of how steep the decline has been not in terms of the decline actually happening yeah i think belgium are definitely one of the disappointments for me and i think group f was the group that we said would be you know the most open um, and definitely it's, you know, Nathan that's been, you know, vindicated in his analysis. I think on my part, uh, or for my part, you know, Canada have been a disappointment in various ways, not only because I, you know, somewhat, uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure the quite word. I, I was a little too confident in saying that they would go through first in this group. <laughs> I mean, as they sit, you know, last place on zero points and are one of what the two teams along with Qatar that have been knocked out of this tournament but i think the disappointment with canada is more so that they weren't able to turn you know their truly dominant performance in the first game against belgium into a win um and while they scored early against croatia i think that was more of a you know poke the bear um rather than a control the game kind of goal early as in you know like was it 67 seconds into the game something like that and so i think I still think they're the best CONCACAF team, and I think they'll be disappointed that they're, you know, the first CONCACAF team um, to go home. So, poor Canada, or O Canada, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, really, the real winners is everyone who doesn't have to hear me sing O Canada, you know, live on the pod, because, well, I guess they could still beat Croatia, or rather, they, they could still yeah, beat still Morocco live. last match day. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, no, group this this group is the group that's gone uh, exactly according to plan for me right now, which is kind of nice. Uh and Morocco plays Canada, uh who've already been eliminated in the last match day. Croatia takes on Belgium. Belgium need to beat Croatia to go through. Uh Croatia will advance with a draw and Morocco will advance with a win or a Belgium loss or any number of combinations. So the odds are heavily in favor of, of Croatia and Morocco going through. Uh, moving out of that group, uh, I guess the other group yesterday looked like it was going to be taking shape. I think we all backed Japan to beat Costa Rica after Costa Rica got annihilated by Spain in the opening match. Uh, and then all of a sudden Japan forgot how to play soccer and lost one nil. And now all of a sudden every team is able to advance from this group uh, on the last match day, Caleb, you were you were high on Spain to begin with, and obviously, um, you know Spain have looked the part for the most part so far. But is there any other surprising thing that has come out of this group for you? Um, you know, I think I was a little surprised that you know Costa Rica were able to bounce back as well as they did. I expected some type of bounce back. I mean, when you lose. 7-0, when you get humiliated, when Kaylor Navas has a game that was so off his best, I'm not sure he recorded, you know, really any saves at all against Spain in the first game. Um, and so I was, you know, impressed that they were able to not only, you know, hold Japan, who had obviously beat Germany, um, surprisingly, in the first game um, at all, but, but also were able to sort of go on and grab the win as well and really blow open um, group E, you know, it is possible that Costa Rica end this group as group winners. Um, and so, <laughs> I mean, I'm just being, it's true. Um, mostly thanks to full crew, but that's neither here nor there. I think if anything, this has been probably the most open world cup, you know, I've seen, has there ever been a world cup where, you know, so few teams have been knocked out or made it through by the third um game of the group it's possible but i feel like normally um these final games are a little more you know yeah they're just kind of they're, they're dead rubbers friendlies yeah they're dead rubbers but in this case for basically every group um that that is not the case and i think costa rica um are are kind of in my mind at the forefront of that sort of theme in the world cup so far even though they do still have you know the worst goal difference um, of any team, which which happens when you lose 7-0, um, which is tough. 
I think they're going to get, I think, I think Germany are going to, are going to beat them, which means, um, you know, unfortunately, so Spain takes on Japan and those are the two top teams in the group right now. And a draw wouldn't actually be enough to uh, secure Japan going through. So Spain could go through with just a draw. Um, a, a win or a draw sends them through. A win or a draw sends Japan through. Costa Rica could win or draw and go through potentially uh, if Japan loses. There's all sorts of permutations. And Germany Spain can lose and go through as well. Spain, if, Spain if, could lose and go through if Costa Rica and Germany draw, but you wouldn't want to risk Germany not beating Costa Rica. No, if no, but if Germany beats Costa Rica, even if Spain loses, they would probably still be ahead of Germany on goal difference. I don't know, man. If Spain put seven past Costa Rica and and Spain lose by one, so their goal difference is plus six, and Germany, yeah, or minus one right now. I mean, they I mean, probably G G Germany basically need to win like. They need to score basically like five it's, plus right, goals. Remember, remember, racket, okay, this is this is a deep cut, but this is back in maybe qualifying for like Euro 2016, and France and Sweden were I think in pole position to like go through, and Sweden would have to to win the group. Sweden would have had to beat Luxembourg like nine nil, and the French coach it might have been Deschamps at that time, or or um I forget who it was. The French coach was like. Yeah, but Sweden's not going to beat Luxembourg 9-0. And then they were leading like 8-0 at halftime, and they ended up going through on top. I'm going to have to do some research to figure out what exactly this was, but um, that's what this conversation reminded me of. Anyways, Nick, uh, on the other side of things, has there been a team that has done way better than you have expected so far? A, a positive surprise? I was just going to let you guys flounder around with the quick maths there. See how long that could have gone on for. But, uh, yeah, I think for me, a team that I've just found to be immensely entertaining has been the Ghanaian national team. And obviously, you know, they played today winning 3-2 against South Korea. You overcoming, you know, the adversity of two late goals from South Korea, putting up a real fight, I thought, against Portugal. Really um, barring a, a last-minute error from Diogo Costa, which almost cost uh, Portugal the three points in the 90th minute. They probably could have come out of that game with a point as well. They're scoring a lot of goals. They're conceding a lot of goals. They're full value for money. Uh, Mohamed Kudus, I think, has been one of the standout midfielders in this tournament. Yeah, I've been highly impressed with the Ghanaian national team. Yeah, and arguably they... they should have got a draw against Portugal when, you know, Inaki Williams <laughs> stealthily stole up on the Portuguese keeper, stole the ball with, you know, moments to spare, but then basically slipped before he could put it into an open goal. And I think we, we pointed out that this was, you know, a very talented team and they've brought in a lot of players that, you know, didn't grow up in Ghana, but have kind of eligibility like Inaki Williams or like, you know, Terry Clampty. Um, and so I think they're a really fun team and, and group H is another one that I think I wasn't totally sure what was going to happen. I think Portugal, um, probably, you know, their, their six points make them look better than they actually are. Um, in a, in a lot of ways, I feel like their position is kind of like when Ronaldo, uh, claimed the goal today when he didn't touch it at all. There's something of a bit of a head fake, um, about them. And I do feel for, you know, Uruguay at the bottom of the group who have hit the post now, you know, three times in the tournament. But I hope that on the last day, Ghana, who play Uruguay, um, are able to sort of sneak in and, and get into the... <laughs> well, yeah, so famously... I mean, back to 2010. Yeah, well, we should talk about... Yeah, we should yeah. talk about Ghana versus Uruguay. There's a bit of history there, isn't there, Nathan? Yeah, so this is probably my favorite soccer match that I've ever seen. I mean, it's 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 one of the best World Cup matches of all time, I think, surely. Um, but obviously, when these two teams met back in 2010 in the quarterfinals of uh, the World Cup, Ghana was the last African team standing. The game was in Soccer City, South Africa. The crowd was probably like 95% rooting for Ghana. Uh, it was awesome. Ghana took a, a, a lead early on. Uh, I think they had a goal from distance. And then Diego Forlan scored an absolute bungare of a free kick from like a weird angle. Uh, but then famously, you know, the reason that this match has such a, a large place in our footballing, you know, lexicon 
is that in extra time, uh, Ghana were going to score. Luis Suarez uh, grabbed or swatted the ball down on the line, got sent off. And then Asamoa Gyan uh, put the penalty off the bar that would have won them the match. And then Uruguay went through on penalties. So that was a crazy game. Uh, it really set the, the, that was like, you know, a, that was at the start, I think, of Suarez's peak. And it really set him off on the uh, the villainous path. Uh, and obviously, I think Suarez is going to retire after this tournament. You know, he's currently well, a free agent. It was the moment agent. that defined his career. Yeah, it was absolutely the moment that defined his career. Frankly, it was a, an incredibly selfless act. And obviously, it benefited Uruguay in the end. And we've debated the merits of that act in the past. We didn't need to rehash that. But certainly, I think it it's, has stung the conscious of Ghanaians for the last 12 years. And they have a chance to eliminate Uruguay and what is the last World Cup, presumably, for the likes of Godin, Caceres, Cavani, and Suarez, all of whom were mainstays, and Muslera, all of whom were mainstays in that that team that made the semifinals in 2010. So uh, a great matchup in terms of just, you know, pure World Cup history. I also feel like we need a, we need a, maybe there is a nickname, I just don't know it for what Suarez did. I feel like it should be called because it's obviously preventing a goal and getting sent off, it should be called the Hand of Satan. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, no, it's the, the inverse of the Hand of God. Yeah, you can yeah. score... <laughs> yeah, you can score with the Hand of God, and you can prevent a goal with the Hand of Satan. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> I was thinking, Suarez has really had one controversy every World Cup. You know, 2014, he obviously bit Chiellini. So he's overdue. He's overdue for some shenanigans. So that means uh, he's going to do two things in this game. He's going to block Andre Ayu's shot on the line with his hand, and then he's going to, like, bite, I don't know, Jordan Ayu. He's going <laughs> to... But, yeah. After both the brothers in this Dude, match. Dude, all I'm saying, like, honestly, though, if it's the 78th minute and Uruguay are down in this game and they, they, they need to win in order to make it through, there's no other option, I'm actually a little scared for what Suarez will do. He's completely uninhibited. Oh, he gets sent off. He misses, you know, 10 international games. He's never playing another one. <laughs> He's basically <laughs> the Pete Rose of international soccer, which is uh, which is kind of funny. And I, I personally appreciate his his villainy because it's just like, you know, it's it's so comical to a certain point. But yeah, this will be this is a group that's going to come down to the last match day. Portugal are uh, are are through with six points if south korea beat portugal on the last match day and uruguay beat ghana then you have to go to the goal difference and stuff like that so uruguay need a win and a little bit of help um honestly portugal very unimpressive team uh i know they've won two games but their team is just very frustrating to watch i think like their team is just full of players who demand the ball so like every single time they're on the attack both Joao Felix and Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes all finish with their hand in the air, like a, like spamming X when you're playing FIFA career mode. So Dude, I don't know. Lay out, honestly. No, oh, they, well, we're really, an incredibly selfish team. Yeah, an although incredibly selfish team. Leao has been the best player on the pitch when he's subbed in each of the first two games. So I, I hope he gets the start in the last game, but I doubt he will. Uh, yeah. They went with Ruben Neves. They went. They go so defensive as well, and there's like no need for them to do that, you know. But Anyways, uh, moving on to the other group from today and the group that will be decided on the last match day as well. Uh, Brazil, Switzerland, Cameroon, Serbia. Brazil, without Neymar, uh, continue their impressive unbeaten run that goes back about a full calendar year. And yeah, they've got the sauce. Brazil absolutely have the sauce. Yeah, I mean, sauce, this... but it, it took a it took a pretty spectacular but late Casemiro goal um, to get the job done. I still think that, you know, at the end of the day, they need Neymar to to make a real dent in this tournament. But just the depth that Brazil have on tap um, is pretty scary. Um, and I do think it says a lot that they are able to to grab the win against a fairly you know, underrated Switzerland team. The Swiss team has, you know, solid quality from from back to front, um, including, you know, at keeper and, and even at striker with Mbolo. So 
I was impressed with the win today, but they did leave it quite, quite late. Um, but I'm sure they'll be happy that they can rest some players and hopefully, you know, Neymar's able to recuperate well after that ankle injury. After he was... I mean, he basically had the shit kicked out of him for 90 Yeah, minutes. I mean, like, he basically had, like, you know, men in Adidas tracksuits attacking him with a, <laughs> a crowbar uh, for most of the first game against Serbia. So... You know, there's, like, there's two players in the world who get the kind of treatment that he does. Him and Messi. Like... It's kind of unbelievable because I think that if you had, if any other player got the kind of treatment he did, there would be more bookings. But Neymar has a certain reputation and ability with the ball that just like, for some reason, allows players to really, really kick him a bunch. And you saw the picture of his ankle, like it's for real, for sure. So, I think a really important stat with Brazil is just how robust their defense is coming into this tournament. Which is incredible to say, considering that it consists once again of a 38-year-old Tiago Silva, who's playing out of his mind at the international level. But they've conceded, including these two group stage games, only five goals in their last 13 competitive matches, which is an incredible record and one that looks like is set to continue for the rest of this tournament, barring, you know, an injury to Tiago Silva or something like that. But even if, you know, Tiago Silva or Marquinhos can't go, Eder Militao can come off the bench, Fabinho can perhaps deputize there. They have the pieces in depth in defense. Danilo has been quite impressive in this tournament, as has Alexandro, you know, tucking in into a inverted fullback kind of role to support in the midfield. And players like Fred really raise their game uh, when they put on the Brazil shirt, as we saw today, and as we saw in the second half against Serbia, where I thought he really offered himself as a, a good alternative to the Tiche setup, which really only has Casemiro as the holding midfielder. I thought Fred deputized as the second pivot quite well. And considering Brazil have a plethora of options to replace Neymar, you know, Gabriel Jesus, Rodrigo, Gabriel Martinelli, I could go on here. Uh, the fact that it was Fred who was trusted, um, you know, with that replacement spot to shore up the midfield, I think says a lot about the strategy of Brazil going forward in this tournament and also just how, well-drilled and, and sturdy the spine of their team is in this tournament. Even yeah, and Neymar. and speaking of spine, it was obviously a spine injury that kept Neymar out um, back in 2014, and injuries have really been the thing that's derailed them in the last couple of tournaments, but they've already clinched going through on top of their group. I mean, Switzerland would have, they would have to lose and Switzerland would have to win to flop that around, and, you know, Brazil are taking on a Cameroon side that has been leaky, as they were today uh, in their 3-3 draw. So Brazil can really rotate. I don't know how much they will, but they should really rotate and probably give the likes of Casemiro, Thiago Silva a rest. Maybe they give Danny Alves a ceremonial start or like a ceremonial half of soccer um, and play someone like Fabinho or Gabriel Martinelli or Bremer, any of the talented guys they've been, they've been bringing in off the bench as well. Um, and that should enable them to be pretty fresh for their first knockout round game and Obviously, you know, Neymar won't be needed either. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for this Brazil team. They've also been battling some illness in their camp. So Allison was one of the players who was allegedly affected, but he still played today. And uh, yeah, otherwise... I actually think there have been several teams that have had some illness um, going through the ranks, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, and obviously the, the other match coming up on this last match day in this group is going to be awesome because it's Serbia-Switzerland. Obviously, uh, Switzerland pr has a number of players of Albanian uh, and Kosovan descent, and uh, Serbia does not exactly have the friendliest relationship with either of those countries to the point where they, the two teams can't play each other in UEFA-sanctioned contests. So and Serbia also hung up a banner. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Uh, in their first match against Brazil, which has since been the subject of a um, a FIFA inquiry, a disciplinary inquiry of sorts. Essentially, um, the banner was it was taunting it was taunting, taunting Kosovo for not qualifying for the World Cup. Um, right. Well, wasn't it a? It was a flag. It was like a Serbian flag with the map of Serbia plus Kosovo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, you remember famously, I think that was the game that had the drone deliver a Serbian flag to the stands a couple of years ago that yeah, started that riots. Yeah. 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 There's there's honestly a lot going on in this group. I mean, the other, you know, fun <laughs> off the field kind of thing is um, with 
with Cameroon, every tournament there's always <laughs> one team where there's some oh squad God. problems. Um, and uh, the the goalie for them, um, Andre Anana of Inter, who is their starting keeper, he's certainly their best keeper, um, left uh, <laughs> left cutter and left the team after uh, his manager. Uh, song told him to kick the ball long more often and he refused um and so he left yes and then they come back out today and start devis epasi who conceded three goals um presumably because he plays for abba in saudi arabia and not for inter so uh yes i love i love the drama personally yes and, and speaking of the dramatic it's funny we've gone through the sort of the back half of the group so maybe we should work our our way up group d there's a lot less drama in the French camp um, than you would expect. We spent right all this now. time being like France is going to implode. France is going to implode, and then they're yeah. the only team that's that, that's met expectations so far. You know, they're independent events, though. I think there's like a seventy-five percent chance of France imploding between each game, um, and so I think that remains the case for the last one, even though they're already through after beating Australia and then Denmark. Denmark, of course, the team that had beat them twice um, fairly recently. Mbappe is what the top scorer in the tournament right now. Um, he has, I think, as many World Cup goals at this point as Messi. Uh, he is just as well, Messi is one more than him now. One more than him now. Okay, right, right, right. Since since the game, and we'll get to that as well. Um, right, yeah, they at the are... point of him scoring those two goals against Denmark, he had... As many yes. as many World Cup goals as Lionel Messi yes. in two tournaments. Yes. So this France team is surprisingly humming, um, I would say. And they look pretty fearsome. I think they've gone from the, I'm not quite sure how this team is going to work, to safely in the sort of top tier contenders camp for me after their performance. Definitely the most convincing team throughout the first two games, I would say. Yeah, I feel pretty vindicated in my uh, saying in our preview podcast that France were going to be fine in this group. Uh, I thought Denmark would have certainly caused them a bit more problems than they did, but it seems like they've really figured something out uh, with Rabiot and Chouamani in the midfield. That seems like a pretty robust double pivot. Griezmann playing in a central attacking midfield shadow striker role seems to be something that really suits him. He really has the freedom of the pitch. Uh, and can send balls into Mbappe from lots of different angles. I think Mbappe is really relishing being the lone man, the striker. We know that he prefers to be kind of the main, the main guy. Have the freedom of, have the freedom of the 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 spear of the attack, and that certainly is the case uh, for this France team, who are sort of entirely reliant on him for goals. Although Olivier Giroud did contribute against Australia, so he's an amazing secondary option if you want to talk about someone of the pedigree and class of Olivier Giroud coming off the bench. But yeah, Dembélé has been quite good in this tournament. Um, you know, it's a real shame that Lucas Hernandez had to come off injured with an ACL tear. It's really unfortunate for him. But France just have the depth uh, to continue on in this tournament. We saw Kanate being rotated for Rafael Varane. Uh, Benjamin Pavard is still class. I don't know. There's still a lot of carryover from 2018 while incorporating new pieces and new roles for the likes of, you know, Griezmann as well. So I think, you know, France are going to continue to hum throughout the, uh, the round of 16 and beyond. Mbappe is also so good. He's just so good coming off the left. I know he's his best position at the club level is striker for sure, but he's basically in this team is basically indefensible because you have Dembele on the right and Mbappe on the left as like true inverted wingers. And Mbappe is just too fast. And Dembele has also been, I think, really good, even though the end product has not totally been there. He's just such a threat. And uh, yeah, this France team will be just fine, you know, barring any other uh, <laughs> off-pitch incidents. Although I, I, I shudder to think about what this team would look like with Benzema up top instead of Giroud, who will uh, possibly become the all-time leading scorer in the next game or two for France. Although... Mm -hmm. As we Benzema, all know, who it sounds like could be potentially making a shock return to this oh, tournament. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like Benzema is ahead of schedule 
with his injury recovery time. And it could be could be the case that he returns to the France squad potentially for the out rounds of this tournament, which would be a sensational, sensational coup for Because they didn't team. they didn't replace him, right? No, so he's still technically in the squad. Yeah. They didn't replace him, which I imagine was probably uh, a knowing thing at the time that there could be the potential that he heals ahead of schedule. Uh, and it sounds like that could be the case that he is you know, ready to go for the round of 16 and beyond, which would be an incredible salvo for France coming into the latter stage of this tournament. Yeah. So this, this team is honestly still sick. Uh, I've been kind of surprised by Denmark. Um, you know, I thought they would do really well and instead they have drawn nil nil with Tunisia and lost to France, although, you know, losing to France isn't anything isn't isn't anything to be ashamed of. Um, and now Denmark will have to uh, get a result in their final game because uh, I don't think they expected to be at this stage where they trail Australia. But it's the calculus is pretty simple for them. Um, you know, a win over Australia puts them in, barring a, a, a shock Tunisia win over France. So um, that is where that group stands right now uh i guess on the sticking with with that day uh the group of poland argentina saudi arabia and saudi arabia and mexico has been interesting i feel very validated in my take that mexico are bad and that tata martino will be he they won't even let him back on the plane um i think he'll he'll pack a direct flight home and you know you know the meme of the of the giants player who arrives at training camp and tries to like get into his locker room, but his card access is denied. That's what's going to happen for him. Um, Saudi Arabia celebrate yeah. the World Cup with Argentina. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Saudi Arabia pulled off that shock upset of Argentina on match day one uh, before they got blanked two nil by Poland because Chesney becomes a god and he plays bad teams. Uh, so going into the final match day, Saudi Arabia takes on Mexico. And Poland takes on Argentina. And this is sort of the nightmare scenario for, I think, a lot of people because Poland and Argentina are not guaranteed of advancing with a draw. A Saudi Arabia win over Mexico or a Mexico win over Saudi Arabia would force one of them out. So this is this group is going to be one of the ones to watch on the final match day when it comes to who goes through because there are permutations that allow all four of these teams to advance. Um, so... Uh, It'll be very interesting to see who do you guys think goes through. I I think Argentina. I think oh god because I see if Argentina wins, if they win, they're through. Then if they win, they're they through. Poland, but yeah. Poland would Poland be through if they Saudi would be Arabia through with a draw? Yeah, they'd be through yeah. with a draw. Um, but if Saudi Arabia wins and Argentina wins, then Argentina and Saudi Arabia go through. Weirdly, I think Argentina and Saudi Arabia might go through. I mean, Mexico have been abject throughout this tournament. They're one of, what, three teams um, that haven't scored a single goal. Um, Saudi Arabia were unlucky not to get something out of this game against Poland. Um, I think, you know, great that Lewandowski got his goal, but it really was Chesney keeping them um, in the game. And then Argentina look, you know, a little bit more alive. Uh, now that they beat this Mexico team with a sublime messy goal and, and honestly an even better um, Enzo goal. And that young midfielder, I think, could be one of the, you know, big new stars of the tournament. I mean, he's been amazing for Benfica and he showed just that little bit extra um, with a great curling effort to score. He has Man City signing written all over. Yeah, him. just the second. Um I think the vibes are are back for Argentina, but Messi does clearly need some help. Um, and I think so far, unfortunately, you know, like Lautaro, um, Alvarez have not really been able to give him very much, um, but he's doing his damnedest um, to get them through. And I think they will kind of get the job done against Poland. Um, yeah, so I think those two go through because Mexico are really bad and Saudi Arabia are are plucky and also all their players now have Rolls Royces so they can drive up to the games. <laughs> um, they they also have a national holiday, so um, that's that's pretty great. I do love though the um, Messi Canelo Alvarez uh, beef oh, going dude. on online <laughs> the, though, which is great. The most 
random beef of all time. And also, yeah. like, Aguero getting involved in it as and well. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, I mean, if you're Canelo Alvarez, like, you have to pick your battles. I guess that's not, you know, maybe a thing that a, a boxer is best <laughs> at. But <laughs> certainly no controversy there for me. You know, Messi not being disrespectful to the Mexican flag. But I guess we'll have um, Canelo, come on the pod. Defend, defend your takes, I yes. guess. No, it's just wild all around. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a, that's such a non-story. Um, but yeah, very very interesting stuff there. Uh, Saudi Arabia think... have to be pretty pleased with how they've done so far, though. Um, you know, their team, despite being made up of entirely players who play in Saudi Arabia, has actually looked pretty good. And they've uh, if they go through into the round of sixteen, I think it'll be. Unfortunately, it'll be big for them and the Federation, so. Especially in advance of their potential bid to host the World Cup in 2030. With sporting ambassador Lionel Messi at the helm of that potential bid as well, even though Argentina seemed to be bidding for the 2030 World Cup. So, yeah, plenty of future tension between Argentina and Saudi Arabia to come. I do think Scaloni has gotten the lineups a bit wrong in these two games. I definitely think a more heavy-handed approach in the midfield, as we saw towards the end of the Mexico match, should be the way to go. As Caleb was saying, it seems like the balance isn't really quite there going forward for Argentina. And I think having a bit more of a robust approach in midfield could be the way to unlock Poland, who also I don't think have been you know the most dynamic team as well. So huge, huge clash in eleven. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the empanada versus pierogi derby. Indeed, yeah. Lewandowski versus Messi for a chance to progress in the World Cup. But Argentina, as we saw in 2018, when their backs are against the wall in the group stage, they usually get it done. Messi usually provides them with a moment of magic. He did that against Nigeria in 2018, and he did that against Iran. Mexico was it Iran? Or... Match as well. So was it? What did he? Did he not score that banger against Iran in the final match day in 2014? And he did. Yes, from outside the box, 25 yards. Yeah. So yeah, good good shout, Nick. Um, I guess our last two groups are the ones that will be decided tomorrow. Uh, we'll save the most consequential for last. But Group A, the Netherlands, Ecuador, Senegal, and Qatar. Qatar are eliminated. They have looked really really bad to no one's surprise. Senegal play Ecuador. Um, you know, Senegal need a win. Ecuador go through with a draw. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Netherlands will beat Qatar tomorrow and finish top of this group, even with the rotated squad. So who goes through Ecuador or Senegal? I think Ecuador, I think they've looked really good throughout this tournament. I thought that they were, you know, the better of the two teams against Netherlands as well. I guess my question is, do we know if Ener Valencia will be fit for the game? I know he's been, he's also another player that's been really roughed up. Um, in, in both games and goes off with just mounds of ice around various joints at the end. Um, but assuming that he's fit and firing, I think he has been really, really excellent. And I do see him being just the one player really in the game that can truly make a difference. And obviously Senegal without Mane are just missing sort of their version of that. So I think advantage Ecuador. And I do think that this table will look exactly the same come the end of the day tomorrow. Yeah, I think Ecuador have really been impressive to me in midfield. They controlled large portions of the game against the Netherlands. Moises Caicedo, I think, has been outstanding in there. Uh, this has been a real breakthrough for him on the international stage, although we've known how good a player he is for Brighton in the Premier League. Yeah, Eder Valencia at 33 years old, um, definitely coming into this a bit shaky, a bit weary. I think he can get the goals still in this game. Uh, I just think Senegal, while they have quality players, have had very inconsistent movements. They look a bit flat at times without Sadio Mane, without that dynamism. I think players such as Ismail Assar haven't really impressed quite yet. But they do have you know, a relatively deep bench Senegal of players who can come on and change the game, which I don't think is quite the case for Ecuador, so... We shall see, although definitely advantage Ecuador based off of 
a really incredible, complete performance, I thought, in that 1-1 draw against the Dutch. Yeah, I think this game has draw written all over it, actually. It's been weird, too, because Edouard Mendy has become a real Jekyll and Hyde kind of guy where he can be an absolute liability some games as a goalie, and then he'll produce just, you know, a fantastic game the next. So it's kind of perplexing because his ascent to stardom and then, I guess, descent into what I would call being a, a slightly above average goalie has been so rapid. But uh, regardless, that'll be one to watch. And then, uh, you know, that those are the, the AM games. And the PM games, at least here on the East Coast, are the most important for us because the United States has to beat longtime geopolitical foe Iran to advance. <laughs> As we were reminded in the press conference, we uh, press conference today. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was insane. That was insane. I mean, so so for context for the listeners, you know, Tyler Adams and and Burr Halter were up there, um, and we're receiving just the most ridiculous questions from the Iranian um, press, asking them about like U.S. naval movement. They asked Greg um, Berhalter why he why the U.S. hasn't moved a ship, uh, you know, to, to outside to like to like unblockade Iran. And yeah, they, they asked yeah, about, Greg Berhalter yeah, doesn't I have mean, the respect of his own star players. I don't think he's going to have the respect of five star generals. Exactly. Yeah, they, they asked, asked about. Iranians, um, they asked why Iranians need a visa to enter America and why Americans don't need a visa to enter Iran. They asked about discrimination in the U.S. and whether Tyler Adams, how he felt representing a country that discriminates. Um, It was all all pretty rich at the end of the day. Um, They also asked Greg Berhalter his thoughts on the Carlos Quiroz, Jurgen Klinsmann situation and about whether, like, that mentally affects Iran heading into this game, which I thought was an odd question to be posing the opposition manager, but... Yeah, I think Caleb continue. I think it was just I mean, such a does, bizarre. Uh, my question is: there's obviously a lot of political undertones throughout this World Cup, particularly with you know Iran and the fact that they you know are it's a patriarchal society. Um, but to my knowledge, the U.S. press wasn't asking you know heroes or some of the other players about that as well, and so. I, I, I don't know. It, it felt I'm, a little bit inappropriate to me. I so I actually so I actually don't think the question itself was inappropriate. I do think the tone was because I think that a lot of the time, especially this is particularly pervasive in English media, as we saw with you know with Klinsman on the BBC panel. Um, I think there is a little bit of, uh, I guess like Western facing skepticism that I think coaches have to endure that I don't think should necessarily be their place. So I think that, look, the the floodgates were opened on asking political questions to managers a long time ago in regards to this tournament. Um, and so I think it would have been totally fine to ask, you know, a good faith question to Weston McKinney, um, you know, about the nature of, of being a black man who represents his country. Um, but I don't think the question was in good faith. In the same, yeah, in the I same guess, way, I, guess I, it, no, the same way like I don't it. think that a lot of I don't think that a lot of the questioning that has been going to Kiros and the Iranian players have right. been um, have been in good faith. So no, uh, yeah. so I, this, I think everyone is in the wrong here. Really, is what I'm no, saying. No, you're right. Exactly. The questions themselves aren't necessarily wrong, but in this instance, the tone made it just sound like propaganda. No, like and they were Iranian propaganda, right? There were definitely so. questions meant to catch Burhalter and Adams out and create a sort of viral moment in a moment of weakness for them. But I thought Tyler Adams in particular uh, dealt with his line of questioning really deftly and was quite stoic in his delivery and professional and sort of turned the question against the Iranian reporter and saying that, you know, it's these face discrimination everywhere, but what really matters is that there is po- as progress at the end of the day. And, you know, having lived abroad, he's been abroad for the past you know two or three years of his career in various places like he said the thing about the u.s is that we at least strive somewhat for progress in terms of issues regarding racism and discrimination um and then so i I thought you know the way that he dealt with the question which i agree with nathan it was a bad faith question it was a it was a finely worded question but just given in a hostile and bad faith manner but i thought the way that adams and berhalter dealt with the whole situation was you know as as good as you could get from those two 
Yeah, and and shout out by the way to Carlos Quiroz, who I think has had to had to put out a very graceful statement in response to Klinsman basically calling his players divers and cheats. Um, Klinsman says his words were taken out of context. Yeah, Klinsman says his words were taken out of context, but I don't know, man. There's a minute and forty seconds worth of him talking about how diving and cheating and being uncultured is part of uh, Latin American and Middle Eastern football heritage and personal Dude, heritage. Klins- so, Klinsman read um, like Edward Said's um, <laughs> Orientalism, <laughs> Orientalism and took really wrong message yeah. from it. <laughs> um, so that was that was that was bad. Uh, and Klinsman um yeah yeah i mean we need to get into that but like that was bad and i'm glad that pretty much everyone who has a brain is supporting uh kiros who is something of a national team specialist with countries that oftentimes wouldn't make the world cup otherwise so um yeah all i'm saying is we could probably stop with the character assassination if you're on the if you're on a bbc sport panel uh because it's uh not necessary and all it'll come out uh is you looking like an idiot so yes but back to the football back to the football uh the united states needs to beat iran to go through iran will advance uh with a draw um if wales don't beat england england uh are at the top of the group and have to beat wales or draw with wales um to to go through on top but uh yeah this is going to be a really tense uh, a couple of hours for American fans. Fortunately, the calculus for the United States is really simple. Win and you're in. Um, a draw or anything else and you are out. So uh, will the U.S. finally go attacking? Will they finally score more than one goal in a game, which they haven't done since a friendly against Granada back in June? Who knows? But we'll find out. I think it's going to be... Uh, we're going to get some real hostage crisis tension vibes, uh, You know, at least in my in my room as I watch this game tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. has had, in many ways, just a moderately more successful version of, you know, Canada's story in this World Cup, um, where I think they really probably should have got a result against Wales, and they probably should have got a result against England as well. And luckily, they do control their own destiny, um, but they just have not demonstrated the ability to put the ball in the back of the net repeatedly or at least you know more than the other team um the question i have is you know do we see Sargent again up top i thought haji wright was basically useless against england who could ever see that coming um i i want to say that the u.s goes through but i just i'm worried it's going to be another game where we have you know 64 percent possession and we outshoot them and yet you know, Osmoon scores twice and we lose 2-1. Or we just draw nil-nil. Or we draw nil-nil and we somehow go through the World Cup undefeated and yet crash out, um, which I think would be an unfortunate way to go because it suggests that we never quite fought hard enough or never quite took enough risks. And I don't want that to be the regret um, of this tournament, which it definitely is trending that way for now. But I'm going to say the U.S. Wins Caleb pulling now, the, uh, I the have Ted Lasso approach Even though there, I chose believe, Iran to go through. Believe, believe. I have to believe. I do believe as well. I think the U.S. will, will win this go game. America. I think it could be a narrow 1-0 or 2-0 victory. I certainly think we see Josh Sargent back up top again. Or potentially Greg Berhalter surprises us all and puts Tim Weah up front with potentially Gio Reyna featuring on the left wing. Although I think that is highly up. Yeah, or at least one of those yeah, two Gio in Reina. the starting eleven where I think <laughs> they belong because I think they offer probably not so so much. No, it'll be, it would be it would be Brendan Aronson. I think keeping the McKinney, Adams, and Musa midfield against Iran is going to be crucial. I thought they ran the show at times against Rice and Bellingham, and I think they can probably do so again. They're just so athletic, so killer in transition, and I think they have a really good understanding with one another. But. Yeah, I'm definitely wary going into this game, especially since Iran will be buoyed following their extremely dramatic... Oh, I apologize. Yeah, the reporter's going to be writing into this podcast now coming for me. Um, Nick, I think you mean exactly. Iran, but, so, as yeah, the reporter Iran said. Following their dramatic win over Wales, uh, in which they scored two <laughs> incredible goals. You should for their education um, of you. But I, I just... Like Caleb said, you know, you want to be optimistic. You want to see the glass as half full. I am just not convinced that the goals are particularly there in this side. 
I think the effort is there, the fight is there, the technical ability is there. Can they put the ball in the back of the net in order to leave this tournament without any regrets and progress into the next round? That will all become clear at around 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central tomorrow. Yeah, we're uh, we're really gonna find out. And obviously, if the United States wins and England win, um, then they would go through in second and would almost certainly end up playing the Netherlands, which would be, I think, a really fun matchup. Um, but unfortunately, I am not totally sold. I think that um, there's something a little Spursy about this U.S. team in that even when the vibes are good and the the play is good, the results just like the results for some reason just aren't. And uh, yeah, I think um, I think this ends in a draw tomorrow, and I think England beats Wales, and England and Iran uh, go through. But I'm going to be stressed out of my mind because it's pretty rare that prior to a knockout stage, you get a game that that means so much where the math is so simple. So um, I was encouraged with the game against Wales until the substitutions. And then I wasn't able to watch the England game, unfortunately, but I did watch a full replay. So hopefully, you know, they can take advantage of the... Uh, if they play with the intensity they played at against England, I think they, they're able to win. But I'm just not sold on, you know, with the third game in four days... Third game uh, in, what, nine days for them. It's going to be tough, I think. So we shall see. Okay. We will also... We will also uh, have a, a recap of that game in about 24 hours time. So if you want to hear us vent about the nil-nil draw, which feels like a loss, um, you know exactly uh, where to find us. But until next time, I think I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. And we will see you all in the knockout stages when we return. <laughs>